You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Wolfram Zimmerman. He's a professor at the University of Göttingen. Um, we're going to be talking about remuscularization of the failing human heart. Um, and that's the uh, one of the interests of his lab, the Zimmerman lab. So, Wolfram, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you, Rich, for, for reaching out. Um, I'm happy to uh, discuss with you our, our research. Yeah. So, what... What happens in uh, in heart failure? What happens to the the heart itself, the muscle, and the other parts? And then, what's the uh, solution that you're looking at? Well, patients with heart failure um, typically experience a loss of heart muscle cells, which can be uh, the consequence, for example, of a of a heart attack. Um, it can be a consequence of uh, high blood pressure, um, infections, and so on. Um, the, the common problem in all these patients is, is that they lose cardiomyocytes. They lose heart muscle cells. These are the smallest cellular units which um, basically provide the contractile force of, uh, to the heart. Um, okay. And uh, if you lose a significant amount of cardiomyocytes, uh, your, your heart will weaken and um, eventually uh, heart failure develops. Um, and, and patients experience typically shortness of breath and and uh, and other symptoms um, if they have heart failure. And heart failure is in, in the end the, the most common cause of death worldwide um, um, because it's a progressive disease. We don't really have a cure for it. Um, drug therapy as it is today um, at best delays disease progression, but it doesn't really stop it or it doesn't reverse uh, the disease. And the idea of of uh, us and, and also many other labs is to uh, reintroduce cardiomyocytes into the heart and thereby strengthen the contractile performance of the heart and ideally normalize it. So what, what percentage of the heart muscle is impacted in a typical patient that has heart disease? Does it vary tremendously or is it a certain threshold below which the heart tends to fail? Well, the, the, the um, defect can vary. Uh, we typically estimate that um, if 25% of the heart is lost, um, that this then results in severe heart failure. And um, these would be then the, the patients that we are targeting with uh, our approaches. So the cardiomyocytes don't tend to regenerate, or do they only up to a certain point? Exactly. Cardiomyocytes are in, in not capable of um, cellular division, so that means that they cannot regrow. If a certain amount of cardiomyocytes is lost, um, this then basically leads to a scenario in which the heart um, cannot compensate the loss in cells anymore and um, 
this is then the time when when the heart enlarges and uh, patients experience heart failure. So there's no endogenous repair of the heart. Well, how do people live to be 80 years old or 100 years old? Their heart is just super old, made of 80-year-old cells, or or do they replace themselves? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So there's a big debate of um, about this in the field. Um, there, there is. is um, uh, but it, it is it is well known now that there is a very very limited amount of cardiomyocytes that are being uh, that, that will regrow during life. Um, so there are estimates that within a normal lifespan, uh, roughly 50% of the cardiomyocytes that y- you are born with um, are, are are regrowing. Um, uh, but the the rest, the other 50%, it appears that these are the cells that you are born with. Well, how do people... Okay, so when, when someone's born, though, they're a baby. I mean, to get to adult status, yeah, they would need, I'm sure, a lot more cardiomyocytes than they're born with. I would say there has to be a, a lot of replacement going on, at least until someone becomes an adult. Not really, because the cardiomyocytes are capable of growing in size. Um, so, so at birth, the cardiomyocytes are still relatively small. And um, it has been estimated that there is a like a 30-fold increase in volume uh, of of each cardiomyocyte you're born with. What does it look like if you compare a baby's cardiomyocyte to an adult? You know, I don't know if you can do it in humans, but in another animal, what's the the morphology differences of the cell? Does it have just more mitochondria, more cytoplasm? Like, how does the cell differ between rodent and in human, for example, or um, well, so, if, so if they you have the example in people, great. But if not, I guess you'd have to go to rodents. You know, between a baby rat and a, an adult rat, or a baby human and an adult. It's human. mainly it's mainly size. It's mainly size of the individual cardiomyocyte. It's not really number. So um, the number is relatively constant over life. Um, but but the, the the individual cardiomyocytes can grow in volume. And of course, they are rebuilding proteins all the time. They are rebuilding their contractile machinery all the time. Um, uh, so there's always protein turnover in each of the cells, um, but the cell itself um, is, is not um, uh, cycling. The cell cycle right, activity. So it's the same when when the cell enlarges. What enlarges about it? Does it just it's the, accumulate more it, cytoplasm? Does it have more mitochondria? Does it have more? What's different about you know, the it accumulates it, the, the, the the amount of uh, contractile uh, proteins of sarcomeres increases per cell, uh, and also at the same time, time the the amount of mitochondria will increase. Um, that is basically what is happening. So you have more contractile uh, proteins per cell, more mitochondria per cell. So what happens when someone has an enlarged heart? What's the mechanism there? What are the cells doing? The cells grow in size. They are even they get bigger, and you have also uh, changes like fibrosis in the heart, um, but you do not have more cells. So, so the the, the heart is a is a terminally differentiated organ, um, for for the most part, um, and and uh, it, it, small or large heart in kids, adults or adults or patients that are sick differs only by the by the volume of an individual cardiomyocyte. So it sounds like the cardiomyocytes are communicating and getting signaling to grow to a certain point and then they stop, you know, when you're an adult. But I guess in certain dysfunctions, the cardiomyocytes are trying to, I don't know, you know, do the job they need to do. So maybe they they then grow beyond what they should be and that causes your heart to enlarge. Like what 
What's the mechanism by which your, your heart enlarges? Why would that happen in an adult? You described it pretty well. So, so you have a cardiomyocyte, which is constantly under stress. Um, say you, if you lose 25% of your, of your heart's myocyte, uh, the other 75% of the cells take over. And, and to, to, to compensate the loss of contractile performance that, that has uh, occurred, these cells need to grow in size. Uh, so, so you would. This is called um, uh, compensatory hypertrophy, um, which then, if, over time, um, turns into pathological hypertrophy, um, and and then typically cells start to die. The overloaded cardiomyocytes start to die. Yeah, why would a cardiomyocyte die just because it got so enlarged? Is it is it because it's so large the cell can't? function and coordinate its activities properly? Can it not beat properly if it's too big, or what's the reason? Well, there's probably a, a mismatch of, of uh, nutrient demand, of ATP demand, um, and, and the cell is constantly over-exercised, uh, over and under these conditions, um, the cells can go into apoptosis and die. It's not that, you know, suddenly 50% of the cardiomyocytes of the heart die. It's a slow process. Um, and and uh, over over years and sometimes over decades, you have a, a, a constant, continuous loss in cardiomyocytes, um, which then basically uh, results in the clinical um, symptoms uh, of, of heart failure. Do you what do you notice when there's um, the death of a cardiomyocyte locally? Is it the adjacent cardiomyocytes that you know go into hypertrophy, or is it is there a particular pattern? You know, of of the of which cells will will grow bigger when a given cell dies in an area. I I don't think this is so. This is not so clear what happens. You know, if you have a if you have a cardiomyocyte that dies, uh, there there is typically replacement fibrosis, um, and um, and the the adjacent myocytes uh, then tend to increase in volume. They hypertrophy, um, and oh, you do. can okay. have very different. Uh, uh, pictures of or, or, or scenarios you can have, of course, an infarction with a defined region of the heart um, uh, being fibrotic, and then you can have patients that did not have a heart attack. They may have other cardiomyopathies or hypertension, and in those patients, you you, you can observe a lot of fibrosis throughout the heart. Um, this is called replacement fibrosis. Um, which which then what, um, leads to issues. What, what happens first? Uh, does fibrosis happen first, or does the enlargement of the cells happen first? This is I, this is probably a parallel procedure. Um, if if you have cell death, cells die. There is typically replacement fibrosis, but you can also have fibrosis, um, which, which can also occur probably without cardiomyocyte death, but these are all mechanisms that are being investigated uh, uh, by many groups uh, around the world, and, and uh, the, the, exact, um, pathology, the, the, the exact um changes uh, in the heart are, are not completely understood. What is clear yes, is that you have a loss in cardiomyocyte, you have fibrosis, and right. then um, a, a loss in function. Yeah, the reason that I ask is I was imagining if, you know, a cell dies and there's fibrosis in that area, that would, I would think, physically restrict the contractile ability of maybe the adjacent cardiomyocyte because there's, you know, a, a, a fibrosis in the way it would it would make it harder for them to contract properly. And they'd maybe that maybe they grow larger in response to that. I don't know. 
like that, that you know, the the, the changes, the, the the heart is the the biophysical properties of the myocardium uh, is is changing um, also in the in, in heart failure. The the when the heart wall typically gets stiffer. So you're right. I mean, if if you have a cardiomyocyte that is uh, located inside a stiff environment, it it probably has to it is it probably has to contract more strongly. Um, and and this may be a process that also uh, causes the, um, or contributes to the to the cell death that we are observing in the failing heart. And what, what's causing the fibrosis? Are uh, is like the immune the cell death coming in and well, like literally, what, where does the fibrotic material come from? Oh, from fibroblasts. So so uh, you you have I mean the heart is is not only composed of cardiomyocytes. Actually, it's for for the largest part composed of non myocytes. And uh, uh, within this non-myocyte population, you have a, a high amount of uh, fibroblasts, um, and these fibroblasts are typically there to maintain the extracellular environment, the matrix of the heart. And in, in a disease scenario, these cells are overactivated or are strongly activated, and um, and then the fibroblasts uh, turn into myofibroblasts and release collagen into the heart, and basically contribute to the to the fibrosis process. Okay. Oh, they're the main drivers of the of the uh, fibrotic process, actually. Yeah. What is, What is your research about specifically? What are you looking to do? My our, our research is on. Uh, we work on, on different things in the laboratory, but but uh, or one of our main uh, research um, areas is to develop uh, heart muscle uh, using fish engineering technologies, and to then use these these fish engineered uh, heart muscle. As, um, as, a, as a therapeutic patch um, in, in heart failure. Um, so we have been doing that now for, for many years and uh, developed uh, basically a, a number of tissue engineering formats which we are applying to the heart to strengthen the heart. You're trying to grow what a layer of heart muscle then implanted into the heart? Yeah, it's not a layer. It's actually a pretty thick structure. It's, a, it's a, like a... Like a uh, like a, a contractile band-aid, if you if you wish, <laughs> which we um, um, position directly onto the heart, uh, onto the uh, region of the heart that is dysfunctional. So, what does it look like? Is it a a, a thick patch, or what does it look it's like? A, it's a thick a thick patch, uh, which can be adapted in size and thickness um, according to the um, to the defect, uh, which which is of course very different in individual patients. And uh, we, we we tailor our patches according to the patient needs. So okay, so what what creature are you growing the uh, you know the structure and then implanting it in? Is it rats or what is it? Well, we are, I mean we are we are building human patches, um, and, and we have done. I mean, I, I personally started this in, in 1995, so nearly 25 years now. Um, and of course, at the beginning, we worked in rat and uh, we worked in mouse and. Uh, and, and now for, for many years we work in human and uh, have developed heart patches which um, uh, will be planned to test in patients next year. So what are some of the challenges you've been running into? Uh, you know, has it worked? Has it failed? What, what stage are you at? The challenges are to, to generate thick patches and to generate them with um, uh, proper contractile performance. Um, and, uh, but, but many of these things have been worked out. 
And uh, there's clear evidence from animal models that, that our tissue implants can be used to strengthen the heart um, and, and we have, that we have seen in, in many different species. Uh, and uh, one of the main challenges uh, in, in, in our program is to develop um, uh, GMP uh, um, protocols um, to basically then have um, a therapeutic at hand which you can test in the patient. What do you mean? What does that mean? GMP protocols. Like what? What are, what are the? Like what, what, you have to do. I mean, in the U.S., you have to be in compliance with the, with the FDA. Um, uh, you have to produce your or your therapeutics according to um, the regulations set by regulatory authorities. And uh, in the U.S., it's the FDA, and, and, and in Germany, it's the Paul Ehrlich Institute. Uh, in Europe, it's the European Medicinal Agency. And um, so, to, to, to develop uh, a therapeutic, you have to uh, obey to, to clear rules um, as to how to process uh, a therapeutic. And this has been a lot of work over the last, let's say, four years at least, um, to, to advance our uh, laboratory technology into a, um, uh, into a stage in which we can if you have a therapeutic attempt. So what, again, what are some of the issues? Is it, it, have you done this in rats and it works just fine, but in humans you need to go through all this regulation, or what are the stopping points? Well, the, to, to, to build tissue patches according to regulatory requirements is absolutely not trivial. Um, we, we, are, we have very good evidence that uh, our approach is, will be pretty safe. Um, of course, there are some safety concerns which have to be considered. Um, this is, you know, arrhythmias, tumor formation. These are the typical uh, uh, side effects that you could anticipate if you work with uh, stem cell derivatives. And this is what we do. We use induced pluripotent stem cells to derive cardiomyocytes, to derive stroma cells. We mix them in collagen and basically form patches. Um, and um, uh, and and there's the risk associated with these approaches are unwanted growth of the of the cells, um, and another risk um, is is arrhythmia. Um, we have tested, of course, for both in in, in many animal models, and uh, we we have so far not observed uh, these complications. So we're pretty confident that our approaches uh, will be safe in clinical applications. Um, we have good efficacy data in animal models, um, um, and 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 hope that this can translate to the human, um, but this will have to be tested in a clinical trial. Is the tissue beating before you put it into the animal model, or is it only started to beat once it's in the animal model? No, it's beating before implantation, um, constantly. You can keep, uh, we, we call our, our model engineered heart muscle, um, or in short EHM, um, and, and EHM can be kept in culture for months. Um, and uh, they will maintain their contractile performance um, very long. How do you make sure the two beats come together? Because they probably wouldn't be synchronized. <laughs> Beating rate of, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So um, the, 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 the intrinsic beating rate of, of our uh, engineered heart muscle is uh, pretty low. It's, it's uh, roughly 30 beats a minute or, or lower. Human heart is beating faster, um, and uh, we, we we believe, and we 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 have not I mean we have not tested it in human, um, 
but we have worked quite a bit in uh, in macaque models, um, and um, um, we, we do have good evidence that the implanted patch is beating in synchrony with the uh, recipient heart. Mechanisms on how that works is not so clear. Um, there can be electromechanical coupling, there can be mechanoelectrical coupling. There are different uh, explanations for this. Um, uh, in, in red models, uh, we have seen uh, very nice electrical coupling using uh, high-resolution high ECG measurements. Um, and yeah, from, from, from these data, we are pretty confident that um, there is coupling or, or, or beating in synchrony of the patch with the recipient heart. Well, how do you couple them? Do you sew the patch on and then shock the heart? Or you no, sew shouldn't. it on and the heart takes over and says, I'm the boss and makes the patch fall in line? Or like, how does it work? Well, we suture the patches to the heart. And then the, the patch is, is, is constantly um, being yeah, well, trained, kind of, by the, by the motion of the heart. By the contract time performance of the heart, and we we uh, we think that that this constant tear um, is is leading to a synchronization of the of the patch of its endogenous uh, contract time performance. We know that from in vitro experiments, if we use, for example, um, uh, continuous loading or straining of our tissue. That um, if, if we do that at a certain frequency, and we if we stop then the, the cyclic loading, that the tissues will continue to beat at that frequency for some time. So, how long does it take for the two, uh, you know, the main heart and the patch to synchronize? And does that depend on the size of the patch that you're putting in? So we don't know exactly um, how the time course of integration is. Um, um, that is also a very difficult experiment to do. Uh, actually, I wouldn't even know how to do it properly. Um, but um, you know, if you if you image the heart uh, using an ultrasound or MRI, um, we can see that the patch is is uh, contracting basically um, in, in synchrony with the recipient heart. We can but see I that think, again, if the patch is if they're out of whack, that you'd have certain instances when the main heart and the patch both beat at the same time, and then you'd have instances where they beat not at the same time. So I don't yeah, know. I, I would never think that seen. would cause this the blood is, flow to you know, go crazy. Yeah, well, if it if it would happen, but that we have not observed. I can we I can just you know that's that is uh, in in theory yes that could happen, um, but we have not observed uh, any um, uh, well dysfunction or asynchronicity. Of, of a heart that, that has been um, implanted uh, with a patch so far. Huh. So you've never it's seen also, the, uh, the main heart go at the rate of the patch? It's always the patch very quickly, you know, synchronizing with the main heart? That's, uh, that's how it seems to be. Well, thank God. Good. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> that is the way you, you, <laughs> we wonder all the time. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're, you're right. You know, that this is, this, this is a... Obvious question, um, but we have so far um, seen that that uh, if we expose um, our tissue patches to mechanical loading, that the tissue patches follow basically the the, the rhythm of the mechanical loading, and and we believe that this is happening also in vivo after you implant the patch onto the heart. 
and and the main for, for us at the moment you know we we are we are moving towards clinical applications towards clinical trials um and and for us the main concern uh the main or the main point of our preclinical studies at the moment is to look into safety uh is and and uh, is to to look into you know any any issues that could uh occur and um so far we have not seen uh any problems after implantation of of an EHM onto the heart of you know rodents or also uh monkey models oh so even in monkeys you you patch their heart and then they have no problem yeah. it works just fine yeah yeah we've done that okay well, that's good so what's what's left before you can try it in people what what do you have to do we're presently filing a clinical trial application, and, and we have pretty much finished our um, our preclinical program. Um, and uh, we anticipate to have the first patient treated um, in the first half of next year. Have you noticed that um, there's – so are you cutting out the part of the heart that's damaged and then suturing in this new patch, or are you just suturing over the, the damaged part? We're suturing over the damaged part. Um, the ideal scenario could be to uh, cut out the damaged part and then um, basically replace that with a tissue patch. We're working on that also uh, and experimentally, but um, this is, at least in my point of view, not um, uh, something that you can uh, that we can try in, in patients. You know, so so it is. It, we we are the the main point is is to. Uh, add cardiomyocytes to the heart. We're pretty confident that we can do that, um, and to do that at, uh, at 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 low risk for the patient. And and we're also pretty confident we can do that. So um, uh, and uh, we will probably have to select patients very carefully um, and uh, not treat patients with a very stiff scar. So that that could be an exclusion criterion. Our approach. Where are you getting the uh, Where are you getting the cells from? From the patient themselves and culturing them, no. or where do they come from? We get them from induced pluripotent stem cells, but the the, the patches are not autologous. They they are an allogeneic. Uh, uh, this is an allogeneic approach, and uh, we have uh, basically um, we, we have a, a GMP uh, IPS9 in the process to, to develop um, sufficient amount of cardiomyocytes and stroma cells and tissue patches for clinical applications from that. But the patients will have to be immune suppressed um, um, to not reject the patch. Well, why not try to culture them from the person themselves? That that's a that that's something that has been uh, proposed ever since the IPS technology came around. But that's pretty unrealistic. Um, first of all, it takes approximately two years to have a t tissue patch done from an individual patient um, that that is way too long for uh, too, too long of a preparation time uh, and 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 then um, uh, even if you implant uh, autologous autologous material um, at least in our experience there is there will be immune there are immune responses um, that uh, even you know, cause rejection or destruction um, often often implants. We we have seen that in in our monkey model, in which we have done also autologous uh, implants, and uh, for for two reasons it doesn't seem to be a logical application. First of all, for logistic and cost reasons, and also um, the, the the cell biology is not 
not so simple. <laughs> well, if you process cells, why do you think that? Uh, yeah, why do you think that the tissue is getting rejected if it's yeah, I guess you say autologous. Well, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of uh, uh, if if you have cells and culture for extended period of time, um, there is autoantigen expression, um, cell mm. acquired mutations in mitochondria. There's a lot of a lot of well, frankly, we don't know exactly, but there's there's um, there are a couple of uh, published observations. Uh, which which uh, support that even an autograft uh, would be rejected. Huh. Oh, that doesn't really make sense. But no, it doesn't. Um, I mean, <laughs> well, it seems it seems so easy just to take patients cells from a patient and then grow something. That and that yeah. can be done, um, but it's 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 an unrealistic uh, um, uh, option, I would say. Have you tried to take um, you know a couple of cells from a monkey from their heart and put them in the dish? With the uh, the patch and see if there there's there's crosstalk or if it changes the behavior of the cells of the patch. You, you mean we we have done uh, we have generated implants uh, from the monkey's own cells and then we put these implants back into the very same monkey. So so that we have done and what we have observed is rejection. Is the rejection the same as if you're using you know non-autologous tissue or is it a different type of rejection? Faster, slower. The type of rejection, I mean, well, that could be different. You know, the the, I mean, we would anticipate that if you implant uh, a patch from a different monkey, um, an allograft, that there is strong rejection. Um, that we have not tested. Uh, we we have always administered immune suppression. Um, at least the monkeys, you cannot. You know, it's not wouldn't make any sense to do these experiments. We would lose the graft. So, if, so the, if, uh, the only the only the experiment that made sense was to do an autograft, uh, and and uh, of course we anticipate that the graft would survive, but that's mm. um, not always the case. So what happened? How long did it take? Did the the, the was there did the whole thing just become fibrotic, or like what happened when you did the autograft? Well, we have done two uh, monkeys with autografts, uh, and we have studied them for three and for six months. Um, keep in mind, you know, these experiments for each of these monkeys takes two years to do. To do. Um, and uh, in the uh, monkey that we investigated uh, three months after implantation, we did see still cardiomyocytes. Um, but we also saw inflammatory uh, responses. Um, and uh, in the in the monkey that we treat that we investigated six months after implantation, not a single cardiomyocyte could be observed. Uh, so after six months, the whole patch was what turned into it was fibrotic or what happened to it 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 was a basically a cell free well it was a cell free patch basically afterwards wouldn't really call it fibrotic you know it's not we didn't see really an active uh, thicker fibro fibrotic area um it basically looked like like a cell free uh patch what do you mean when you say it's cell free did the cells leave they, they die they, they well or they just die well, if, if they die, if the the body clears dead cells, so um, so if there is an inflammation, the cells the the, the uh, you have leukocyte infiltration, macrophage infiltration, and you have then basically clearance of of the dead cells. This is also so happening. So you just had what extracellular matrix and full of dead cells, or full of just gook? There's no living cells there. <laughs> well, after six months, you know there is no cardiomyocyte left. 
um, in this autographed animal without immune without immune suppression. Uh, with with immune suppression and allografts, we do have a high retention of cardiomyocytes after six months. So so um, we were kind of testing whether or not an autograph in an autograft uh, without immune suppression that there we thought that there could be cell retention um, and. For, for three months in one macaque there was, uh, for, in the other one which we studied for six months there was there was there was no cardiomyocytes left. Um, so what um, this it just sounds like a tough trade-off. You know, if I'm older and my heart is damaged and I need this uh, this graft, I can get it, but then I have to be immune suppressed. So how long do you how long will this uh, will this work until uh, you know I don't know I succumb, but it stops working or works forever as long as you're immune suppressed. Well, we—I mean, this is like in a like in a normal heart transplant. If you're if you have a heart transplant, you are under immune suppression until the end of your life, um, and uh, and of course there are side effects. There can be side effects, um, but um, these are—you know—you you have to watch out for that. Um, um, it's but just it's too not bad such that you a, have that gigantic trade-off. I just wonder if there's it's a not way so gig- it's not so it's not so gigantic. You know, if you if, if these patients that we're we're treating are are dying, we're talking about a it's mm-hmm. an end-stage disease scenario in which patients have a life expectancy under you know normal conditions for 12 months. Yeah, and that's uh, okay. we don't that's you know you will not have tumor formation uh, or, or or other complications really. Um, at, uh, so what's the what's the life expectancy with with the patch in place and the immunosuppression? What is, is there a ballpark know. idea? Well, what's no. your what's your guess? Can you predict it at all or no? Well, we can predict that the patch will enhance contractile performance of the heart. Um, and of course, the uh, anticipation is, is that uh, patients would live longer um, with a with a heart patch. Um, and finally, of course, the plan is, is to really replace the scar with contractile muscle. Um, but making any predictions now as to you know how long, how much longer would a patient live? This is something that you have to test in the clinical trial. Well, maybe you could get some information by looking at heart transplants. You know, how long do people tend to survive after a heart transplant, and what is That's it pretty... that gives out and kills them? You know? well, the, the, after a heart transplant, you have a pretty normal life expectancy. Okay, I thought it was diminished. I didn't know that. I not, that well, not much. The, not not the not well. Survival rate in in heart transplant patients is is pretty good, pretty encouraging. Because these, of, of, if we had enough heart transplants, we would not need any tissue patches. You know, that, this is kind of the right, the, the problem true. we're having. You know, if you if you had a heart transplant for everybody, then uh, you would not need any cells to be implanted into a heart. Um, but we will never have enough hearts to be transplanted. So uh, we will have to we have to find solutions for the patients that are today dying on a on a transplant waiting list. So what are the mysteries involved in this process to you? What what either surprises you or really piques your curiosity about it? Well, it's amazing to see um, uh, that that immature or stem cell derived cardiomyocytes um, have the, the the capacity to self organize under appropriate stimuli. Into a pretty mature heart muscle, um, and it is also then surprising that these tissue patches, um, after implantation, in the absence of vascularization, uh, at least at the time point of implantation, there is no vascularization of the graft, that these cardiomyocytes survive, start to mature further uh, in vivo, and then also support the heart. This is we find this pretty amazing and also surprising, well, of course. 
where where does what's directing the cells do you believe to form in a certain way to beat in a certain way to organize like where is all where the where do the plans of organization and all that where are they held do you believe and how are they communicated amongst the cells we think we think it is it is primarily uh mechanical impulses the, the the stretching of the patch after implantation also in our um uh, in, in vitro preparation of, of tissue patches, um, we use mechanical stimulation uh, to train the tissues, um, uh, and, and that is uh, the, the main principle of our tissue engineering uh, concept, that we, we always use mechanical triggers to train our tissue, and then after implantation, the heart takes care of that. Well, I thought that the heart was primarily electrical, and it used electrical signaling as it well does. to... Uh, so do you see evidence of I don't know, electrical signaling or just mechanical signaling in the patch? I mean, you know, have you tried to look at the cell-to-cell -cell communication? Is there chemical gradients? Are there electrical gradients being set up? I mean, you know. Well, you can study this very easily and nicely in, in, uh, in the laboratory. I mean, there are, there are clear electrical circuits that are forming. Um, and um, uh, there's a, uh, a, a pretty well-developed functional syncytium um, in, in the laboratory already, and then after implantation, um, there's good evidence that these patches um, then also are, are synchronized with a normal heart, with a recipient heart. Um, right. That is certainly not by direct electrical coupling direct after implantation, because we, we basically implant a patch onto the heart, and it, this is not a plug-and-play system. The, the, the maybe the mechanical impulses uh, uh, from the recipient heart um, lead to activation of, of contractility um, in, the, in the patch. This is something that is, uh, this is at least what we hypothesize. What about the, uh, the patch itself, the edges of it versus the center? Are the cells different, you know, or the top versus the bottom? Are they, are they pretty uniform across the whole they're patch? They're pretty, they're pretty uniform. They're pretty uniform, uh, which is also surprising because uh, of course, you would think that, that if you generate something of significant thickness, that you would have a uh, preferential growth of cells uh, at the outside of patches where there may be more oxygen. Um, and, and that may indeed be true for very thick patches, uh, but, but in, uh, in the, the patches that we have generated so far, we have not observed um, a preference for outside versus inside. That may be because we what are about the designing patches yep. in a way that they are uh that they they receive nutrients uh, also inside the tissue hmm. what about the uh the size of the cells in the patch is there any correlation between the thickness or size or dimensions of the patch and the size of the cardiomyocytes in them do they sometimes get bigger and you don't know why or do they stay a certain size or the, the cardiomyocytes uh, inside the patches they are um you know, stem cell derived cardiomyocytes they are less mature and smaller as compa compared to the cardiomyocytes in the adult heart, but they have the, the size um, of, of postnatal cardiomyocytes. So, so they, they resemble basically a, a young heart, uh, which should still be capable of growing in, in, in size. You should, we, should, we, should, we expect that there is hypertrophy um, after proper, um, you know, uh, if, if the proper environmental uh, stimuli uh, are present. But that may be an issue. You know, if you sew a patch on and the cells are small and then they start getting bigger, 
once they're implanted next to the heart, wouldn't that strain the suture and change the morphology of the patch? No, not really. We can, well, no, no, not really. Actually, this, this is this is a, a wanted effect because we want to have the the reason for uh, cardiomyocyte survival uh, in, in our case is certainly that these cells are uh, metabolically less um, demanding as compared to a, a, a big adult cardiomyocyte. This is well known that if you take a cardiomyocyte from a uh, an adult cardiomyocyte from the heart, if you would, you know. These cells are are um, uh, they they need a lot of oxygen and um, they would die if if injected into the heart or implanted onto the heart. So uh, we and intentionally keep again, the cells. Yeah, if they grew bigger again, they would they would push other stuff out of the way. They would pull on the suture. They would you know they would, they would get well, bigger. No, like if the no, not really. No, no, I don't think so. Well, we have not observed that. Uh, you know they they're trained by the they they um this we have never observed um how how much smaller are they than the adult cardiomyocytes you know on a cell to cell basis a little bit smaller a lot smaller uh they are uh, roughly tenfold uh smaller in volume wow that's a huge change i would think that would be i mean so the, hmm, that's crazy uh, they have they have the size of of uh well, they have the they have a, they are they have the same length of um, of adult cardiomyocytes, but they are thinner. Huh. Interesting. Have you um, have you implanted patches and then gone in there after a period of time and and looked at the heart and pulled the patches out and see how they changed? We have not. We have done, of course, uh, histological assessments, um, and uh, we 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 see that the cardiomyocytes are growing in in size. Um, uh, it's pretty difficult to uh, to quantify um, uh, to precisely quantify cardiomyocyte volume um, in a, in a tissue section. It is uh, much easier to do that um, after isolation of cells from a tissue patch. Um, and, and here we have done these volume comparisons, the cell volume comparisons. Well, what if you made a patch in the shape of like a, a circle or the you know the letter C? And then you patched it on, you know, in a rodent heart. And then six months later, you you, you euthanized the animal, looked at the heart, and see if the the shape of the patch changed. If it had a very specific shape going in, it might be easy to observe it change. You know, maybe you make a shape like a star or a C or something. No, you can still see patch. the. You can still, of course, the patch you can still see after after months. You know, that that's uh, the the patch is still still present. Um, uh, taking it off the heart is is not so easy. Uh, you would you would have to basically scrape it off the heart, and thereby you would probably destroy the patch pretty much. It's it's um, there, there is a, a, a clear um, or a, a strong connection of the tissue patch with the recipient heart. Okay, and then uh, just just a couple more questions. I <laughs> hope I'm not driving you crazy with the questions, but. Um... <laughs> I, I don't know if you considered these before, so maybe at least it's new stuff, maybe not. But um, ah, what was I going to ask you now? So, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what, you, you said the, the patch. Oh, yeah. What What is the suture going into? So is the suture just in between the individual cardiomyocytes on the patch side and then in between, in between the, uh, the cells on the other side? Or is the suture, like, what are you suturing into? Is there a border of the patch? There is a bo- the patches have roughly four by four centimeters um, in, in, in XY dimensions, and uh, that can be extended or decreased. You know that that's, you can do it pretty much in any any size. 
and um, um, and then you basically use a suture and you tie you know you, you stitch through the patch and through the heart and you um, you tie a knot. But what does the suture bite into? It just goes it's in between a, the cells, the extracellular matrix. It goes through the patch. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, you can you can see the cells obviously. So so you just go directly through the patch um, and and directly into the heart. Um, and, 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 and then you tie it. So have you seen any pattern of um, fibrosis that happens over time? You know, if you observe the patch that's, you know, implanted after six months or a year, you know, does the area around the suture tend to die or the whole thing's preserved? Like, what well, there's, like? You know, the, there's, there's always, if you, if you put a foreign material into the heart like a suture, there is some foreign body reaction to the suture. Um, uh, and 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 you you can you can see the suture easily after six months. This is the the you know the longest time we have studied uh, patch survival in, in a monkey model. Um, so so depending a bit on the suture material, there are different suture materials. Some materials uh, resolve over time, others don't. Um, and uh, in, in the regions of the stitch, um, you will see some very small fibrotic uh, changes. Okay. Well, very good. What's um, what's your ideal? What do you want to have happen in the next, you know, couple of years? What would be a great goal for you? Well, we hope that 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 that, that the approach we are developing um, can be safely applied in patients, and uh, will then um, help to support uh, patient hearts um, or, or patients with heart failure. Um, and we are, of course, super excited to see. Uh, uh, the results of, of the clinical trial we are starting next year. How long do you think this will take before um, you know real human patients can use it? Before it is well, that that depends on the on the outcome, of course, of of our study. Um, we're planning on treating. Well, if everything goes 50, well. If everything goes if well. Goes, how long do you think it'll be? Well, if it goes well, we know in in, uh, in, in in three years we know whether or not it goes well, and then you know it depends on. Okay. On on how well it went, you know, um, we will have to see. You know that this is you can imagine these are these are very difficult patients to treat. You know they they are but they have they have yeah. very li limited options. Uh, and and one thing we know for sure is that we can add cardiomyocytes to a failing heart. Um, so that's very clear. Um, and, um, and and we also know that we can maintain them for a long period of time. So uh, there are several questions that we cannot uh, answer: whether you know, do we need more cells? Do we need them uh, integrated in a different way? Um, do we need to combine tissue engineering approaches and and cell injection approaches? Are there specific patients that will benefit from cell injections and and not from patches and vice versa? So these are these are kind of open questions which. Um, I think the field is ready now to to test this in in, um, in 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 a clinical trial. Okay. So, what's the best way for people to get in touch, you know, with the lab and see what you're doing? And you well, know, oh, they questions. can just <laughs> they, they can just Google for for tissue engineering and uh, Göttingen and uh, and my lab basically. Um, so so they can easily come in touch with us. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Wolfram. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure, Richard. Um, and I hope this was useful. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, 
the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.